The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. And welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle Hyman, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who has a lifetime membership to the Salt Mines, Kevin Austin. Welcome to the show. <sighs> that was the one person clapping for me. <laughs> I'm excited to be here, man. Uh, a little less salty than I used to be. I feel like I feel like I'm low sodium now. Well, I shouldn't say low sodium, lower sodium now than before. <laughs> but I'm here, and if I'm filling in for Josh, I suppose I should say I'm tired, right? That, that is, yeah, that that is typically what has to happen <laughs> at that point. That's good. I'm glad, but I'm glad you're still here with us. Uh, <laughs> apologies, listeners. I just realized that my audio was so blown out for that intro, but it is now under control. So, <laughs> so no problem. Hey, my apologies if that was really loud. It's better now. He's uh, just but, really you know, excited. It's okay. I am excited. I'm very excited to be here. You know, uh, Josh is on vacation this week. So last week he wasn't feeling well. This week he's on family vacation. Uh, so Kevin has been nice enough to step in. Uh, Kevin obviously has been around PSVG and, and that stuff for a really long time. So we're happy to have you. Now, Kevin, the thing that's interesting is you and I have podcasted, I mean, semi-recently. We were talking about the John Wick movies and things yep. like that. But we haven't casted like podcasted about video games in a very long time. Yeah, I would say it probably would have been an E3 something at some point, probably like one of the mashups we used to do where it was like, hey, everyone hops on and talks about one of the presses. Maybe that yeah, was the last time. Possibly. I don't even know. Yeah, it's been a really long time since we've talked about <laughs> video has. games. In it's this always been format. movies. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So, exactly. Yeah. So I'm excited. That's that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to do this is we get to you know talk about some some games and all that good stuff. So that's that's exciting. So, you know, Kevin, you refer to my my intro about you know being a little less salty uh you are always the person you know for our pregame topic this week you know you're always the person who was thought of as being the salty one of the person who kind of brought the salt to all situations yes uh how did you feel about being portrayed as the salty one i think everybody needs a gimmick so i think that just ended up being my thing like right it's like you kind of needed something to like Kyle used to be the voice of reason. And when, you know, Kyle would insult somebody, it would sting more than anybody else because you'd always get somebody really, really good. Um, you know, Donnie was the buy and sell everything guy. Um, you know, everyone had their thing. And and mine was just being a bitter old man, you know, kind of fits fits the, the, the bill, so to speak. So which of the two um, bits, if you would, did you prefer being the salty person or being celebrity chef Justin Warner. Which of those <laughs> bits do you prefer? Well, I, I suppose doing Justin Warner gets me more money. So when I when I impersonate him, I get more contracts and work to be done. Um, but Justin isn't afraid to use salt. I will say that. So that's true. Maybe that's it's true. all in one. It's just one facade. <laughs> Have you? Oh shoot! What was it? I can't remember which show it was on. Now it might have been on his hulu show for david chang when he was going to see um 
he got like the custom like DNA work done to see about like <gasps> oh yeah yeah and the like the researcher <laughs> person was like okay well you have more salt in your system than I've ever seen in anyone's system ever. And I was like, well, I guess that's what happens when you're a really good chef. You consume a lot of salt, apparently. Yeah, so. I mean, you, you got it. You should be tasting your own food. And, yeah. you know, it, people are afraid of salt. I get it. But it enhances flavor. So you can't be too scared of it. And it's a sign of a good chef, a chef I suppose, if you, you know, shows that you're tasting your food. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Josh and I obviously talk about food a lot on here. Oh, this is going to be an important question for you then, Kevin. Mm. Uh, and we can see because the listeners came down pretty hard on Josh for this. So uh, do Uh-oh. you toast or grill your buns? Uh, not always. I can. What? Um, but I don't certainly have to. Man. Like, so if you're like making like burgers for dinner, mm-hmm. you will not, you will sometimes not toast your buns or grill so your buns. For me personally, I will. But since okay. I cook with, for a family of five, I have to kind of take a toll. And mm-hmm. all of my children actually prefer to not have toasted buns, while my wife and I prefer toasted buns. So I kind of just go back and forth is what I have to do. Gotcha. So why are you raising communist children? I I try not to, but, kidding. you know, totally the, the, inter- the Internet, man, they're all they're online. So <laughs> conspiracy theories and, you know, uh, it's I, I guess it's better than being in the Taliban, right? This is going to start going down a road that I think is pretty complicated if we keep going down this road. How do we get from food to this? I guess I did, I'm the one who started going down that road. But um, are you what you know? Obviously, Kevin, a thing that you know you and I both love and and watch a lot of is cooking shows and things mm-hmm. like that. Any any particular like cooking shows or things you've cooked recently or recipes or things you're really excited about right now oh geez um no cooking i haven't actually done a whole heck of a lot only because it's hot here and i yeah i don't want to cook when it's hot so it's been more takeout than we normally do however the cruise i was on there was a lot of great food there um so Mm -hmm. i got to try a lot of cool stuff there as far as tv shows i will say the one i'm enjoying right now i think it's still on a couple more weeks uh i believe it's called bash at the beach or something uh oh yeah 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 it's like the east coast versus west coast with antonio lafaso hosting it and they kind of like cook on the boardwalk um yeah and then they have tiffany Faison and brooke williams and brooke yep brooke williams are, are competing there so i'm enjoying that one that's a little bit fun and it's just something different as opposed to like the same show that's always on um right. so something a little bit different so i'm enjoying that one there but uh yeah cooking in the summer doesn't doesn't go well with me i'll grill but i i don't do as much cooking just because it's, it's too darn hot especially in my house yeah right? the way the way the houses are built in new england if you know i'm central air it's really tough during the summer so yeah that's really surprising i should say surprising that, no it is surprising that y'all don't have central air there like i just can't fathom that yeah it's but. not i mean people have it it's just it's not common just the way the houses are built and stuff i i don't I don't understand why, but yeah, it's been my whole life. Like my, my kids now enjoy schools because they've been, you know, rebuilt and stuff like that, or, or their new buildings that have like air conditioning. I'm like, God, you guys are lucky. We didn't have any stuff when I went to school. It was like, right. it was cold in the winter and it was hot in the summer. Like you can crack a window maybe and that's about it. So yeah, no, I, I, that's definitely how school was for me as well. Uh, and I didn't have central air growing up, but I've been lucky that basically I mean, my my dorm room in college did not. But after I moved out of my dorm room into my first apartment, since then, I've always had, like, basically central air of some sort. For I, that, I, Oh, no, except for one apartment I lived in for a while after that did not. But it's just one of those things that it, it surprises me because I assume, you know, 
based off of the age of the buildings and things like that on the East Coast, they probably weren't originally built with it. So it's just a exactly. lot harder to put in than it is. Yeah, yeah old sure. buildings, old buildings. Sure. And that's that's one of the things we we actually had a big complaint with on the cruise. So and, and Josh would know whenever we travel together, like him and I would do like extra life, whatever we rent the, you know, a hotel in New York before we before after the event both of us are in the same policy of like, we go in the hotel room and we crank the AC as high as it could possibly go. Like we're, we're right. that person. So whenever, you know, whenever I travel, I do, I do the same thing. So we're on the cruise ship, we crank the AC all the way and we notice it's never really getting that cool in there mm-hmm. at night. It still feels warm. So, you know, we kept calling down, they checked, they sent somebody up person check. No, no, we're good. Called again, you know, like the next day. And they said, no, we're able to monitor the temperature from your room here. And we're showing it's, it's 10 degrees cooler than it is outside. And I said, that that's your barometer. I'm like, so if it's if it's 95 degrees outside. The room will be 85. And they're like, yeah, I was like, I, I can't sleep like that. And luckily we brought like these little um, my wife and I have fallen into the bad habit of having to have a fan on to fall asleep kind of thing. Like we're, we're those mm-hmm. people. Um, yeah. And we had these little mini rechargeable ones. So we actually were able to like attach them to the end tables and kind of just blown our face. So it was tolerable to sleep, but I just couldn't believe that they were okay with like, yeah, as long as it's 10 degrees cooler than it is outside. That's how we do the rooms. I'm like, the Dang. restaurants aren't hot. It's just, it's just the rooms. Like, yeah, I was like, <laughs> this is terrible. We're in the Bahamas. It's hot. Wow. Well, I guess that means that, uh, that makes me think twice about ever going on a cruise. Cause I don't, I could not sleep in that. I feel like it was an excuse, honestly, but that's just what they kept telling us. And I was like, well, I guess there's really, you know, nothing more we can do after that, but the rooms were always, warm. yeah, I felt it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a uh, you know, kind of backtracking. Uh, Brooke Williamson is probably my favorite "quote unquote" celebrity chef. Like, I really like Brooke. Uh, I really liked her on Top Chef. Um, obviously, Tournament of Champions and all that stuff. And now, just seeing her do more and more and, and judge more often and things like that. I just, yeah, I don't know. I just, I always think she has a really interesting take on food. Yeah, um, she's my wife's favorite too. Actually, my wife liked oh, her really? right, right from the start. So when she saw her in that season one of uh, Tournament of Champions when she won it, which like mm-hmm. just mowed everybody down, she, she was pumped. And I was like, oh, I, I I hadn't watched that season of Top Chef, so I didn't really know her that well. But I was like, oh yeah, she's kind of cool. And it, the only thing that you know I had an issue with is she kind of bit Justin's head off in that first season of Tournament of Champions. So I had a little you know little feud with her going on. But it's all oh right well, you know she's trying to cook and Justin's there interrupting her. Like trying to ask her about what's going on, and she's like, "He's got to represent cook. her. She can't present I her. Know. Dish. She needs to know." Well, I am sure that when she is ready for him to have the information, he will have the information. I'm just saying, there's a reason she only won once. I know she only won <laughs> once, and then made the finals two the other two times. Doesn't she's matter. So bad at this. If, in the words so of Ricky bad. Bobby, if you're not first, you're last. I know, and she's like basically. Well, and even okay, never. This is kind of things. I'm sure this is fascinating for our listeners. I know, right? Uh, I'm not a huge. I'm not a huge fan of Tiffany Faison. I don't know why. She just has always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So when she won by one point in season I, three, I, I was like, it. "Come on!" I was shocked. Um, I'm with you. She she has that. I mean, it's a family friendly show, but she has that resting bee face, if you will. So she always just looks like she's angry, and she's. But even though she's not, like I think right. that has part of it. Like she just comes off as a bad person i don't think she actually is but i think it just exudes from her my wife said when she was on top chef uh she wasn't that nice either and then like her persona's kind of right. changed over the years so it yes. might be that too but but i'm with you too it's, she's always kind of a little bit weird when i see her i'm like uh, i don't yeah East Coast, so i have to root for you but i don't really like it much <laughs> yeah i think it's for me is because i am a top chef person and I, I on top chef yeah she was not super yeah. nice or personable and i think 
it seems like from everything I've read since then that she is actually very friendly. But like, I still have that initial like season long impression of her um, on Top Chef that I just—it's can't the whole shake. woman chef mentality. They all say it's super tough in that industry for a woman. So it's, I right. think they all kind of have to build that thick skin because Brooke even has that sometimes too. Not all the time, but she she can dish it out too. And I think that's kind of just how they're they're bred, so to speak. You know, coming up through the industry. Yeah. yeah. Have you watched uh, the Bear on FX slash Hulu? I have not. Oh, Do I need to check? You should that watch out? the Bear. You should watch the Bear. That's on. F- yeah. Is it on yeah, one of the streaming sure. services? Yeah, it's on FX, but obviously, you know, FX on Hulu type stuff. Ooh. Okay. So, yep. So writing it down. Yeah. Cool. Hey, well, while you write that down, we're going to kind of move on with the show here and continue on. So thanks so much for joining us this week, everyone. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, or suggested topics, hit us up at Board with VG on Twitter or check out all of the awesome stuff over on the Instagram, also Board with VG. We're proud to be part of the Play Some Video Games podcast family, and we encourage you to check out all of the shows like the PSVG podcast, the Nintendo Shack, PSXP, and Dollar Cinema. You never know when a new show might pop up, so be sure to stay tuned to all your favorite PSVG podcasts to stay up to date. We're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network, so if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast archive, as well as all of the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that's right for you. So with that, Kevin... Hey. I'm, re- I'm going to try really, really hard not to call you Josh out of habit. Uh, <laughs> Why don't you take us through what have you been playing recently, sir? Well, you know, what's funny you say Josh is is the first game on my list is actually one of Josh's favorite games this year to come out. He, I believe he's already, I don't, what do they call it on Xbox? It's not platinum. It's 100% it, I guess what it is. And it's... Oh, yeah. A thousand gamer score. Yeah, yeah. Power War Simulator. Josh loves this game. I don't know if it's the, you know, his career path and he just, you know... <laughs> <laughs> gravitates through these types of experiences. But, you know, he told me the day it dropped on Game Pass, he's like, Kevin, you need to check this thing out. You're going to love it. And oddly enough, I do. It's it's weird. It's like that lawnscape, lawn mowing simulator kind of thing, except it's yeah. with the power washer. You're just spraying stuff with a hose, man. And uh, it's, it's you know, not the best looking game, but it's, it's that satisfying thing of seeing stuff clean like you see the people on youtube videos like watch oh these deep cleaning videos and they watch power washer videos it's just that and your your objective is you're you're uh, uh up and coming power washer you start your own business and you grow from there you start off by cleaning like cars and you move to to gardens to houses uh last one i did was a was a playground um and i mean this stuff is filthy but yeah it, it's you get your choice <laughs> of different nozzles and you upgrade stuff so there's all different you know strengths in pressure washer it's all different attachments and and nozzles and cleaning solutions and all that kind of stuff it's it's pretty in-depth for essentially just spraying stuff with the hose so what do you is it just the um i'm trying to think of a way to describe it is it just like the zen like yeah time that you're having yep. with it that you find so appealing yep it's it's the exact same thing as i played landscape simulator for a little bit and i think that was part of it or lawn mowing simulator I forget what it's officially called but um i think that was part of the reason i played that for a little bit that one didn't stick with me as much but like uh pc building simulator i've done that too where it's like it's just kind of no stress you have your objective whatever that may be and you just do it there's no time limit there's no pressure you can't lose um it's just a matter of finding all the dirt and getting rid of it so it's just very chill relaxing like i had a terrible day at work i'm just gonna spray stuff with a hose and i, I, I don't know <laughs> uh, how to explain it any different than that it's just relaxing i don't get it but but 
Yeah, I know this, there's definitely a group of people who love this game, uh, mm. and I do plan to play it and check it out. Yeah. Uh, so I have not played Lawn Mowing Simulator yet. I know I have it, but I haven't played it. Uh, I've been told, or I feel like I read for that Lawn Mowing Simulator, you're actually trying to like build up your business where you're like yeah. buying new mowers and buying like a place, like a building and like all of that kind of stuff. Is that the same with Power Wash Simulator or is Power Wash like, here's a thing, clean it, now no, you do nozzle and new stuff? Yeah, you don't buy like a like a place of business, but you do buy new equipment, new stuff to be more efficient or to tackle different types of grime. Um, because mm-hmm. obviously with the different nozzles, like just in real life, like you have ones that like low pressure, high pressure, but you don't want to use high pressure right. and everything because you'll damage it. Um, yep. So it's a lot like that. So, yeah, it's it's not as deep as lawn mowing simulator, but they try to infuse a story in this in in contrast that where lawn mowing simulator doesn't really have a story, you just you know, build your empire and make more money. This actually has a kind of quirky, silly story. Like the game doesn't take itself seriously at all. Like there's, there's, you know, your career mode, which is you go through and you tackle bigger, bigger and better things. But there's also like a free play mode or a, a challenge mode where you do stuff like you're cleaning the, the Mars Rover and you're doing like these ridiculous <laughs> like fossils and you're, you're doing stuff like that. So they have like some fun ones. It doesn't take itself seriously at all. It's just, it's really stupid, but it's, it's kind of just a Zen fun little thing to mess around with. Good. Like I said, I, I really want to play it. I just haven't jumped into it yet because I keep getting distracted by other games, but I do actually really, really like want to good play games. this one. <laughs> but, well, yeah, I don't know even know if I'd say that, but other well, games I would sure. say. It, the, one, the one thing I will say is as you start playing, like the first couple levels are pretty straightforward and they're, they're, they're not super time consuming. It all depends on how fast you can find all the stuff because you have to get a certain percentage before it's deemed clean so sometimes you got to look under things and change your angles and stuff so it's kind of like hide and seek there in that regards but when you get to the bigger stages i will warn you they do take a long time like i'm talking an upwards of like 50 minutes to do one house per se or whatever like it gets it gets really time consuming so after a while it kind of makes me sleepy um to kind of be like well okay but that's part of the zen experience i guess like i'm not freaking out i'm not stressing i mean I've uh, I've I said this on Flexibles. I've uninstalled stuff like Fortnite and Apex. I'm not playing any of this stuff anymore. So my adrenaline level in video games is really low now. And now I'm just spraying stuff with the hose. So, you know, <laughs> it is. what. Well, it is. you know, whatever, whatever it takes, whatever exactly. it takes. Uh, when was the last time you power washed something in real life, Kevin? Uh, beginning, uh, probably the beginning of spring. Uh, I had okay. power washed all the lawn furniture um to put out for the year um you know like the mess shares and the picnic table yeah. and stuff like that um so i did that yeah gotcha i, I do in real life it's just something. not it's not as much fun in real life no it isn't i was gonna say, I actually happened to power wash something today yeah because i was doing some stuff outside and like i was like the like entryway to our house was really kind of grimy of the siding and stuff and i was like mm-hmm. okay I, I just need to do this pulled out the power washer and did it not as like when yeah. i was done i was like no i'm gross <laughs> yeah i can i can fully say the game is better than doing it in real life 100 yeah. percent guaranteed awesome. um what else, what else have you been playing so the other video game i've been playing i actually booted up a couple hours before this actually while i was wasting some time was uh another game i game passed along with power wash simulator called escape academy have you heard of this one at all i have it's the escape room video game yeah it's it's pretty decent i will say i've only done the first couple levels so it wasn't Mm -hmm. anything super challenging but i like escape rooms Uh, i find them to be fun but obviously that's an expensive hobby to do all the time and and to grab enough people to go and do it kind of thing it doesn't it's not always practical um but this does a pretty good job of, of replicating that type of experience where you have stuff you need to decode um there's physical clues there's you know like stuff hidden in posters and and stuff like that And there's a hint 
uh, is a hint uh, system in case you need it. To, first off, I haven't needed it yet. I've hit the button accidentally because unfortunately, I don't know why they the, the button placement in the game is pretty bad. So like A mm-hmm. is to interact and grab things uh, on, on Xbox, of course. Um, yeah. B is to back out of whatever menu you're in. Y is to look at your inventory of stuff you've actually picked up. And then X is the hint. So it's like, even if you just tap that button, it's like, oh, it gives you a hint. And that goes against your score. I don't know if it goes against your score. It counts how many times you use hints. And it annoyed me because I didn't need the hints both times I pressed them in the two challenges. I was like, oh, man, I didn't need this at all. I already solved that. But um, it's cool. Like, it it has a story to it, which seems kind of weird. But, like, you're you're being recruited by the Escape Academy. It's a college that literally just trains people to be escapists, as they call it. And they say some of these people grow up to be spies or or, uh, hackers or even presidents, they mention. Um, And you're you're going throughout the campus and meeting teachers and, and engaging in more of these challenges there. Um, but I will say it's pretty fun. I don't know how long it is per se. Um, you get badges when you reach certain ranks. Uh, mm-hmm. so I, it doesn't really show me how many badges there's going to be. So I can't really guesstimate how long it's going to take. Uh, but it is pretty fun, uh, simple so far, but it does have a higher, uh, it rates each stage with difficulty with like a key. So the first two levels I did were only a one key, but the keys I can see go up to six. So it looks like it's going to get challenging. Maybe I will need those hints later, but, um, it's pretty fun. Not the best looker. Um, but it definitely embraces the whole uh, escaperm aspect of like you're uh, pick things up and it'll let you pick stuff up that you're not going to need. So you may think like, oh, I can take this. I'm going to need this. No, you might not. So it, it's just like reality. Uh, but it's pretty cool. And I, I wish, honestly, there were more games uh, like this. And hopefully yeah. this picks up enough steam that other companies will do something similar um, because it's a lot of fun. But it definitely captures that escape room aesthetic for sure. Yeah, I think they've already announced that they're going to do like DLC for this game, like oh, great. each quarter moving forward for at least the next three or four quarters. That's awesome. So, yeah, this is on the two playlist. I was just going to try to sit down and play it with my wife because I know that we can play a yeah. co-op. Right. Um, so and, you know, we're both obviously into games in general, both like escape rooms. Um, so this was definitely on the short list. I was just trying to find a time to sit down with her. To play yeah, I was going to say, if, if you guys yet. still do homework, I was going to sign that to you for homework that you have to go play Escape Academy. <laughs> okay. that would be good homework that would be very good homework yeah it's it's not super time consuming uh like i mean each level the two two or three levels i did so far i got through in less than 10 minutes per stage uh they do give you a time limit um of how long you can take um i think the first one i did in like six minutes and they gave me 10 minutes to do um so like i didn't really waste i I spent more time trying to figure out the controls than i did actually solving the puzzles but it's a lot of fun gotcha Um, yeah we uh I was going to say, we stopped assigning homework uh, coincidentally when I started taking class. I know. I know. I, just <laughs> so I was like, I already have real homework to do, yeah. uh, but it, it might come back. We'll see. We'll see. It's de- it's definitely an easy enough game that you could at least try it out and, and yeah. get your get a taste of what it's going to be. And I think, like you said, playing with your wife, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, even if she doesn't like have hands on controller just in the room and help you solve the puzzles, because you do need to take uh, to write things down. Because yep. there's visual clues that you can't pick up. So, like, I it tells you when you start up, like, keep a notepad and paper nearby, um, a pen and, and paper nearby. And I've had to use it a few times to write down, like, oh, here's the code. Here's how I decipher this hidden message, stuff like that. So it's definitely meant to, you could play it by yourself, but it's definitely meant to have more people help out as well. It's just like in real life. You know, you could do escape Very room by cool. yourself, but it's kind of weird. That, that would be yeah, not probably the intent. Yeah, right. Um <laughs> In the, the physical board game realm, I will say something weird happened in my house today, um, and this wasn't on the list, so you're hearing this for the first time, is my middle child for a long time being a big Stranger Things fan, stuff like that, always wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons. 
and we were never able to really make it happen. We got that beginner's uh, packet that you could buy at like Target and stuff like that. It was like 20 bucks. They had like the mm-hmm. campaign and your star stuff. And we did that once, but my oldest child insisted on being the dungeon master and she was horrible and didn't know what she was doing. So it made for <laughs> gotcha. a really bad experience. But now in high school, he's got a closer girl friends. They all played a D&D campaign that he wrote uh, today in the house. So I had like eight kids in the, the kitchen you know, rolling for dexterity and, and doing silly things, but they had it. They sound like they had a blast. I will say they're all in the backyard now having a little as I throw my microphone uh, campfire outside roasting some marshmallows now, but uh, they had a blast playing through it. So I think that's going to end up being a regular thing. I know they said they didn't want to try and do it every couple weeks if we'd host oh, that'd be it. Cool. So, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be very cool. Yeah, so it was fun. Um, but since that was going on, my youngest child was feeling a little left out because she couldn't play, obviously, Dungeons and Dragons. So um, we cracked open uh, a game I purchased at Josh's recommendation when he saw it on sale, and that was Disney Sidekicks. I don't know if you're familiar with you. Have you played this one or seen this one? I, I have not played it. I am familiar with it, but I have not played this game. Okay, so we we cracked it open, and uh, for those listening, it is a game where you uh, take over the role of Disney sidekicks, hence the name, uh, like Timon and Pumbaa, uh, Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether, Tinkerbell, Abu, and I feel like there's somebody else. Lumiere. Oh, Lumiere. Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast. Um, and your goal is to battle the Disney villains, obviously, uh, that coincide with your character. But however, it is a cooperative game. So uh, my daughter picked Tinkerbell. So Captain Hook was the villain. And then I picked Timon and Pumbaa. So Scar was there, obviously. Um, and you work together to defeat the villains and gain enough stars, which are basically uh, almost like a, uh, victory points, if you will, um, to unlock the towers in the castle in the middle where your hero is held captive. So Tinkerbell's actually saving Peter Pan and Timon and Pumbaa are saving Simba. Um, it's a lot of fun as you go through. Um, you get it. Each hero gets a deck of cards. It's only like seven. So it's not like villainous level of card play, but uh, you shuffle your hero deck and you draw three cards. And those are three abilities that your character can uh, unlock throughout the game. Uh, So you start off with just you're able to move and attack and that's it. You have like how many move points each character can do. That's it. But as you rescue villagers who are spread throughout the map, you can uh, rescue them and they help you unlock your abilities. Like so for Timon and Pumbaa, once I rescued three villagers, every time I attacked, I was actually able to roll the dice twice and take two attack actions instead. Um, So things like that will happen. Tinkerbell could heal after every level if she wanted to. uh, Things of that nature. Um you take uh, you give a certain amount of action points depending on the character you do, and you can do things like such as move as one action point, move one space as action point, rescue a villager, attack, rest, which will allow you to heal, of course. Um, and those are pretty much all the actions you can do. And the goal is just to try and keep all the villains at bay, gain enough victory points to unlock your hero and free them. Uh, the villains are also taking actions every turn as well. And there's a villain deck, which has a base deck of, of villain cards that are for everybody. And then you actually put the villains uh, deck into that deck and mix it all into one big villain deck. So the villains are taking actions every time a hero takes an action. They're pursuing you and going after you. Um, Scar brings the three hyenas along with them, which you have to defeat them as well on top of Scar, which was a little challenging. But uh, we were able to get through it and we won. Um, however, we realized probably about 80% through the game that we were playing one thing the wrong way. Uh, because oh, no. I, I will say the instruction manual, honestly, is pretty bad uh, hmm. for a game that supposedly ages eight and up. Now, my daughter's seven, but she can read, so she doesn't have issues with that. Um, 
she's played some games. This, I think, was the most enhanced for her. But luckily, since it's a cooperative game, I could help her through it. It's not like she had to hide her cards from me or anything like that. So it works. Right. Uh, but the the book was pretty bad in, in regards of it. You just open it up and it had like text boxes everywhere just saying what each thing did. But it didn't necessarily tell you how to put it all together and make the game go. Um, and because I just wanted to play it, I didn't look up like a video or something like that. Like, I know tons of people do stuff to make it uh, easier to explain. Um, but we tried doing it just through the manual. So, you know, next time we won't be able to win it as easy as we did. Um, right. We pretty much didn't have any difficulty other than just getting to what we needed to do. But it was pretty fun. I know it's been on sale a bunch of times. Uh, Target, I think, actually has it on clearance right now if you have a Target nearby. Um, but Amazon has had it on sale a few times. They got it for 10 bucks. It's totally worth that. Um, the figurines are pretty nice. Uh, the little characters pretty detailed the only thing is they don't really color them so they're just the color of like your theme so like tinkerbell's green captain Hook's green to match lion king's orange stuff like that um so they didn't really do that but you can clearly tell like oh this is that character it's not abstract like it is in villainous um but yeah it's pretty fun uh it does come with two boards um to play on so one side of the board is for two to three players and then you can flip it and the other side is a four player board which is obviously much bigger uh because you're outfitting more villains more you know, villagers to rescue, so on and so forth. But um, definitely a neat game and, and definitely uh, accessible to most children. Uh, so it's a good family game. And like I said, you only need two players to play and you can play up to four. So I think it fits in a lot of people's wheelhouse as well. Very cool. I, I think one of my favorite little notes about uh, that game uh, is the designer of it is Eric Lang, who is, you know, known for doing, having designed, you know, Blood Rage and Rising Sun and Cthulhu <laughs> Death May Die and Arcadia Quest and Ankh and Marvel United and like all that stuff. And then, oh, also, uh, you know, we got a little Disney sidekicks going Disney on. Disney sidekicks, so. yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of mechanics going into it. Like, I will say like that, there's tons of different like tokens you have for all different types of action. So it like, when you unbox it, it definitely is a little intimidating to see all that stuff. And you're like, man, is a seven-year-old or eight-year-old really gonna be able to play it? Um, right. But I think with just better directions or playing it through a couple times and, and figuring it out as you play through like I did, um, it's definitely a, a good game. It's a quality designed game. I think it's just the directions weren't clear. It's really the only gripe I had, but time wise didn't take too long. I think it was about 30 minutes to play. Um, so it wasn't like a huge thing. Uh, and then the initial setup was a little, you know, daunting with all the tokens you had to pop out. But, um, other than that, it was pretty smooth and easy to pack up. So it's, it's good. I recommend. Yeah, I, I do love that one of the images of it, and not that this is obviously necessarily just a kid's game, um, but on Board Game Geek, like one of the images of the game that like somebody has submitted is like a cover of the box and then like two big beers right next to it. I just think it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, as Disney adults, Kyle, we can be, you That's know, right. you know, you know what right. it is. <clears throat> That's right. Anything else you're playing? not right now no just kind of waiting I, I i am looking forward to stray i will say that that's that's the next one i'm looking forward to i want to be a couple the days that's a couple By days the time you're listening to this actually it'll be that's it'll true be available yep that'll so. be the next one i'm playing that's what i'm excited for awesome so for me a couple things um on the table uh top i have played uh finally cracked open a game that i got quite a while ago that was machi koro 2 i didn't uh, know this existed kyle what is going on here yeah, so you don't get pure "quote unquote" sequels in board games very often, right? Like Machi Koro right. is a game. Now this is Machi Koro Two, which is not like Machi Koro because a lot of times in board games it'll be like Machi Koro's Second Edition or something yes. like that. And I knew they did this the Anniversary just, Edition recently too, so that's why I was shocked when right. I saw this on your list. Yeah, so this is just a straight sequel to Machi Koro. Uh, so it's very similar in most ways. Um, the, and it actually what it does is it incorporates a lot of the things that happen in the expansions and mm -hmm. it kind of makes it part of the base game. So 
when you start, um, you have basically like all of your um, buildings that you have, and they're divided into two decks. One is like one through six, and then a deck that's seven through 12. And then you shuffle all of those, you put them face down in piles, and then you flip over five cards from each deck. But if you get any duplicates, they just go into a stack. So you have to have five unique cards there in the one through six and the seven through 12 row. And then you also have a stack of landmarks that you shuffle and you put out five landmarks. All of the landmarks are unique. Um, after that, it pretty well plays like Machi Koro with a few big exceptions. First big exception is that at the beginning of the game, you go through like a buying phase. So you alternate turns and then each person can purchase up to three buildings that are out available right then. So you don't start with any buildings. Okay. But you start the game with five coins. You don't need to roll any dice, but each person going back and forth, you can buy up to three buildings with your five coins alternating, you know, between the two of you. You can pass if you want to. You don't have to buy all five, all three if you don't want to. Um, if you spend too much of your money and you run out, so you don't have enough money to buy three, too bad. Then you're just out of luck and you have to wait mm-hmm. until dice rolling starts. Yeah. Uh, but you kind of can like build the foundation of your town rather than just always starting with a wheat field like you do in Machi Koro. Um, so that's one big change is that initial buy phase that happens. The second big change is that immediately you can roll two dice if you want to. So in the original Machi Koro, you had to unlock one of your... Um, whatever they're called landmarks there we go you had to unlock one of your landmarks that allowed you to then roll two dice in this game you can immediately start rolling two dice so when you're starting that initial buying phase like you could buy cards in the 7 through 12 range because you're you can just roll two dice if you want to so it's totally up to you how you do that and the third big change is that how the game wins is rather than everyone having the same set landmarks you just have to purchase three landmarks from the landmark row that all do different things and the first person to purchase three wins so that's kind of the way the game goes. Um, other than that, though, it's just basically like Machi Koro. You roll the dice, whatever the dice are on the, you know, whatever the total of the dice are, you see if you have a building that triggers off of that. If so, you do whatever that trigger is. Go ahead. If you want to, if you get money or have money and you want to buy a new building, go for it. Next person's turn. Although, so from otherwise, it's extremely the same. Well, I'm just seeing the, the, here, I'm, I'm reading about it, too, and I'm looking at So number one, I, I like the fact that there's plastic coins now and not the little cardboard yeah. stuff. So that's fun. Um but it says here the landmarks benefit everybody now, so it's not just benefiting you if you build one? Correct. So when you build a landmark, it's th- it does things for all players. So, like, one of them was, like, oh, if you roll a six, like, get, like, X number of coins. But that's, like, anytime I rolled a six, every player got the five coins or whatever it is. Yep. So all landmarks benefit all players. Hmm. That's a so, weird. I don't know how I feel about that. It is a little weird. It definitely makes it be a little thoughtful. And the landmarks start cheap and get more expensive. So, like, if it's the, like all of them have three prices on them, except for like two of them. Um, and it's like, oh, if it's the first, if this is your first landmark, it costs one price. If it's your second gotcha. landmark, it costs a different price. Third landmark, in general, be the most expensive. Overall, this is pretty, like, I don't know that I like this better than the original Machi Koro. I think that the. The setup that you do is, like I said, is basically the setup that happens like once you get the expansions for Machi Koro. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how they have you do it here. And this might be what put a bad taste in my mouth about this game, though. So here's what happened in our second time of playing this game. I got crushed by my partner in the first game. She destroyed me. <laughs> like she bought she had three landmarks before I had any. It wasn't even. Close. Oh. So I was like, OK, well, this isn't going well. So for the second game, I was like, you know what? I am, I had started even before we had revealed the cards. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go all in on these red cards and I'm just going to be a jerk. 
Uh, because the red cards, if you don't know, listener, the red cards are that when your you know your opponents roll a number, if you have that number on your red card, they have to give you coins, right? Yep. So it's it's pretty mean. It can be pretty a mean way to play the game, but it can also be a pretty effective way to play the game. So it's yeah, not absolutely. like just I'm like doing it to just like him and ha about it, like or to like to try to delay the game. Like it's you know it's actually a valid path to victory. Well, what happened was is when we were doing our initial buying, I was able to buy two red cards. And then I was able to buy, I think, a warehouse or something, which is one of the cards that's like, oh, you earn two coins for each red card you have. Sure. Right. Yep. So those were my first three cards, were two red cards and that card. Over the next three turns, I added two additional red cards and another one of those cards that, that gives you two coins. Now, oh my God. anytime that number was rolled, I got 20 coins. Oh, Jesus. Well, because of her rolling a couple cards here and there, um, and then me rolling... I was up to like 48 coins by turn five. Oh my God. <laughs> and there's one of the landmarks that costs 45 coins if you buy it first, but if you buy it, you immediately win the game. So the game was over <laughs> in five turns. Oh my God. Now, that's a fluke. Oh. I don't think that's always going to happen. You will have to get sure. into a situation where like the landmarks actually come out that way, where you're able to generate, you know, an engine that builds fast enough, and then you have to get lucky enough to roll those numbers, right? Like, it, it's not, but I was like, well, gosh like could you do this with like any other strategy right maybe you go all in on like the gear cards and like get like five gear cards and two of the generators and you could just do that again really yeah. really quickly as well so that's kind of like where the original machi koro it's much more challenging for that to happen because you have like the set cards that are always out whereas this is randomized right so that might make it so that never that possibility never happens again but because of the stats that i know it could it just makes me less excited to play it because yeah. right, like, like, let's get us all together to be over. Like, literally, the game took like less than five minutes, and it was over. So, and I mean, even if that landmark didn't come out, that specific one, you still were making right. enough coins to still end it in a few more turns anyway. Like, yeah, absolutely. it still was. She was still she had no chance. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was pretty, pretty. We got over pretty quickly. So, uh, <laughs> she had, like I said, she had kicked my butt the fir- pretty bad the first time. So then for that game, when that game was over, she's like, well, I kind of deserve that. <laughs> like, like, so, well, so, at least yeah. she didn't so, take it bad. You know, she's yeah. taking it a lot worse. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. So that's Machi Koro too. Like I said, if you have the original Machi Koro, I, I don't know that this is necessarily um, worth it per se. If you don't have either one of them, I like I said, when I play the original Machi Koro, I only play it with expansions. And that makes it pretty similar to Machi Koro 2 in a lot of the aspects. Sure. Um, but but uh, so I don't know. Like I think honestly, I would still I still prefer Machi Koro with expansions over Machi Koro 2. But yeah. I think I prefer Machi Koro 2 base game over base Machi Koro, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Did you did you yeah. play the legacy one? I did, Machi Koro Legacy, yes. Yeah, okay. I thought you did. Yep. So that that well, I shouldn't say I should say I have played it. Um we were playing it in a group of four. We got to the last, we had two games left in it, and then the people we were playing moved away. So the people we were playing with moved oh. out of like like eight hours away or something like that. Like, you, so, need to, you guys need to drive back down here because you yeah. left us hanging. So we technically have two games of it left, oh. but although, but I think I got a pretty good gist of it. And it's fun. It's, it's good. I do like it. So um, the other thing then just on the tabletop is I actually played uh, Sagrada which I have played before, but only the mm-hmm. app. I had never actually played the board game before. Oh, really? Okay. Um, yeah. So I ha- I mean, I've had the board game for a long time, but I also got the app like right around the same time. And I just have only ever played the app. Um, so I actually busted out the board game. It, you know, Sagrada is a great game. I think, you know, it's something that we've talked about on this show multiple times. I know Josh likes it. You know, I like playing it on the app. Um, overall, like 
the component quality and stuff of the game is pretty impressive. Um, this is going to sound really, really nitpicky. I'm annoyed at the size of the dice. I don't like how small they are, but I also get that helps keep the cost down because, you know, if they were regular size, six oh, that's dice, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's like the little dice. Yeah. So that's a little annoying to me, but also, like I said, to keep the cost of the game down um, and I get it. It just is like when you're rolling that, like when you have that small number, those dice, they don't roll as well to me, I feel like. Um, But yeah, that's my only really nit with it. But just swap them out. Swap them out. Put other dice in there. Then they don't fit in the trays. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So that's the down thing. And then I also don't have 90 dice. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> so. So, yeah. But like I said, Sagrada is still great. If you can pick it up, definitely oh, yeah. do it. It's still an excellent game. Um, so, yeah. So that's what I've been playing on the tabletop uh, for video games. Uh, one, I picked up a game called Dismantle. Uh, have you ever heard of this game, Kevin? No, I have not. Okay, so this when I listen to other video game podcasts, I always try to write down games that people talk about. And Greg Miller actually was the one who mentioned this game. And he mentioned it, and I was like, well, I'll take a look at it. And then I noticed that it was from a developer that I actually really like, but I feel that most people don't care about. And the developer is called Ten Tons. Okay. Um, Ten Tons did the game Crimson Land. Um, they have done Judge. They did King Oddball. They did... Um, tesla force oh, which was the sequel to yeah, tesla yeah. versus lovecraft they yep, did neon yep. chrome i they are mostly a mobile developer i feel like they're a mobile first developer i would say yeah but yeah. in general i really enjoyed their games that i've played like i love crimson land yeah. um i really really love tesla versus lovecraft yeah me I too, me too. i actually platinum that game like oh, i wow. love that game um so i like you know heard this game i was like well i don't know about it and then i saw that it was a 10 tons game so it's like you know what we're going to give it a world. Um, we're going to give it a try. And let me tell you. So Dismantle is a post-apocalyptic open world action RPG word salad thing. Uh, where basically you play a survivor who had the apocalypse happens. You have stayed in your bunker. But at this point, all of your bunker supplies have have run out. So now you have to go venture out into the world and, and go complete the requirements of the game. This game is has like that isometric top-down view um, you know, that you'd see in like a Diablo and things like that. Combat is very basic so far. I have a crowbar and I hit things with hit zombies with it. And I have like throwing knives that I can throw, but you get other weapons and other upgrades as you go. Right. Um, almost everything in the world is destructible. And that then gives you resources to then upgrade your things because some things only can be broken if your items are at a certain level. So you like are constantly in that loop of like turning things in to upgrade this thing to now you can, you know, knock down more things. And then that means that you could have more weapons that are available to you or more gadgets available to you. And it has all the trappings of games these days. Um, Oh, that was really weird. Okay, sorry. I just got a notification. Uh, So it has all the trappings of you can go fishing. You can plant crops like all of the stuff is like in it, too. While you're running around this zombie infested like wasteland of a world that you're trying to like put these towers together and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, gosh darn it. I really like it. I really, really like this game. It, it's so like the graphics are fine. The audio is fine. The gameplay, like everything about it is just fine. But there's just something about the loop that is so fun. Um, I 
I think this game, like I'm playing it on PlayStation. Um, I think if you have, I, I know it's on Switch. If you have a Steam Deck, like I think something like that probably is a better fit for it. But I'm really enjoying my time with it. Um, I think it's like 20 bucks. I think it might even be like on uh, mobile as well. And I think that probably wouldn't be too bad of a way to play it. Um, but it, it just is a game I'm really enjoying it. Like I said, it's not going to blow you away with the the presentation or the audio design or the graphics but there's just something about their games yeah that 10 tons does that i just the loop hooks me and i would say that it's like a I, I would be hesitant to recommend it other than the fact that their that their loop has hooked me so many times before as well that the game seems so underwhelming in so many ways but there's just something about it that i can't quite put my finger on uh, that I really like. Um, so this dismantle is D Y S M A N T L E. It is available on everything, switch yeah. everything. And it's, yeah, it's 20 bucks pretty yeah. much across so the it, board. So, yeah. So like I said, it's a, I really enjoy my time with it. Um, if you're in a situation where you're skeptical, I, I wait for sale. That's totally fine. Um, but I, yeah, if you're just looking for like one of those games that just has that good loop that has you keep, you know, slowly building things up and building things up, and you're like, oh, I can't do this thing until I have a lockpick, and I can't get my lockpick to level ten. Okay, well, what am I going to do in the meantime? You know, yep, yep. Uh, it does have the downfall of like, you can put everything on the screen. It's like, do you want to track this quest? You're like, yes. So you can have like oh, eight yeah, yeah. quest track, but you don't have to. You don't have right, to right. do that. But you can have like eight quests and like four recipes that you're looking for recipes for, like all on the screen at the same time while you're like running around. And so it. It gives you the flexibility of deciding what you want there and don't want there, but it's a really fun game. Like I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, it technically came out like last year on PC um, and this year on consoles. So yeah, it hit January in the consoles. Yeah, PC last year. It looks like mobile even before that. Possibly, I see a 2020 date on there. Some on the website. Yeah, but I don't know what yeah. that's from. But I, I just wrote it down. I, that's going to be a, an upcoming purchase for me. I think it definitely seems cool. So yeah, I'm it's, a fun, it. it's a fun little game there. Um, and then the only other real game I've been playing um, that's different is I, you know, kind of mentioned that, you know, I got a new phone and had to update my phone plan because that's what they make you do these days. Of course. Um, so I have, you know, free Apple Arcade. So uh, playing some Clap Hands Golf. Um, what used to be Hot Shots Golf when it was on PlayStation. Now Clap Hands has released Clap Hands Golf on uh, Apple Arcade. And guess what? It's Hot Shots Golf mobile. <laughs> like, that's really <laughs> right. all it is. Like, Obviously, it's very clear that that's what they were trying to do, but I think overall they succeeded. Now, the one thing that they do that's really unique with this version is that you are collecting characters, okay. and each character can only golf one hole. So when you oh, go golf a nine-hole wow. course, you have to have nine characters, and they're each assigned to one hole. Um, but you don't start with nine; you start with four. I was saying, so like, then they have work? like. Yeah, so then they have like these little like mini stand-in characters that are all just these, like these generic people that are not good that just okay. like stand in. So then you're like, oh man, so it like incentivizes you to go grind to get like these other characters to be able to do better. Uh, but if you like hot shots, like I think you'll like this. Like it, it, it has both like the flick um, golf and the three click. So like it really even is bringing like the traditional like um, hot shots golf, you know, to mobile as far as that goes. The graphics look really, really similar. Course layouts are the similar, like all the ball control and stuff. Like it really feels the same. I'm not far enough in it to know like how good all of the courses are and whether it's going to stand up to long term play. And I don't know how much I love playing it on my phone. Right. Sure. Um, but overall, if you're looking for a fix for that game, uh, it's there and it's good. It's if it, it definitely scratches that itch. 
Um, so that's pretty much what I've been playing. I do want to read a note, though. Josh did the, send a message to me, and I wanted to make sure that I read it, that he asked that I share on the show very briefly. So I'm going to go ahead and pull that up here and read this really quickly. Okay, so here's what Josh has to say since he's been out for a couple weeks. Josh says, I was going to try to do an impression of him, but I'm not going to. That'd be disrespectful. <laughs> that wouldn't be good. Um, what's up, boarders? I miss you all, and I miss Kyle. Oh, that's nice. Uh, special thanks to Donnie and Kevin for helping out on the pod while I'm away. I can't wait to come back and talk about all the things I've been playing. Some Pathfinder, Marvel Dice Throne, Finnish Marvel's Avengers for the second time. I think he might be the only person who's finished that game twice. Yeah, um, I haven't played it twice yet. <laughs> went to the barcade for my birthday and hope to play a bunch of games on vacation. I hope everyone is doing well. Talk to you soon. So that's just a little message from Josh because he's still thinking of us, even though he's on vacation. So that's very, that's very awesome. Nice I can't wait to hear more about Marvel Dice Throne because that game looks awesome to me. Mm-hmm. But I know darn well I can't buy it because nobody will play it with me. But it looks fantastic. Well, uh, then I did, actually did not put it on my list to talk about because I have played it because um, I was going to wait till Josh is on to talk. About of course. It, but yeah. Save it. Save it. Save it. Yeah. So I have a great dialogue when he comes back. But I, uh, <laughs> but I am looking forward to hearing that. Yeah. So um, real quick, before we kind of move on to our topics of the show, uh, Kevin, last week, Josh and I talked about our three favorite games of the year thus far. Ooh, what are your three favorite games of the year so far? Oh, gosh, what has even come out this year? Uh, well, I mean, there's that Elden Ring thing, no, which neither of us read. It. Nope, <laughs> so. me either. Uh, I got to look and see what's come out. And by Josh, I mean Donnie. When Donnie was on last week, we talked about it. So Right, right, right. I just, I got to look because I don't remember what I've, what's from this year and what, because I've done a lot of backlogging this year um, because there's been a few lulls. There have been a few Um, lulls. Rainbow Six Extraction, no. Dying Light 2, no. Sifu, no. Oh, Horizon. That's definitely one for me. Horizon, Forbidden West, for sure. Um... Oh, I'm going to say Kirby in the Forgotten Land. I did really enjoy that. And um, I'm probably going to go. Oh, it's a toss off me between Ghostwire Tokyo and Tiny Tina. Um, I'm going to say Ghostwire Tokyo just because Tiny Tina is more of the Borderlands great stuff. It just isn't. It's different, but it's not that different. It's still Borderlands. Um, definitely right. better than Borderlands 3, but it's still the same. Um, so I'm going to go with Ghostwire Tokyo because that was something a little bit different for me. Wow, that I enjoyed, Ghostwire so. Tokyo. Yeah, I liked it, dude. I really liked that game. It was it, You had to dig in, but I liked just how different it was from everything else that's been out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the gameplay loop, like that stuff didn't bother me. I know it bothered a lot of people, but I just had a ton of fun playing it. And the story kept me engaged to see where it was going. So, Gotcha. Yeah, I know it's I, not on a lot of people's lists, but yeah. Yeah, I own it. I just haven't played it yet. Which is my situation with most video games. I oh, of own course, it, but it doesn't. It oh. doesn't feel like a like a current gen game anymore. Like I, you know, I'm struggling not to say next gen. It feels like a PS4, Xbox One game. Mm-hmm. So it's not pushing any boundaries there. But it was unique and different. That's kind of what I always enjoy is finding games that just give you a different experience from what you always play, but still done in a well uh, production value type scenario. And that definitely did it as well. Um, you know, like I said, not turning as many heads as Tiny Tina's by any land, by any means, and I, I do enjoy the heck out of Tiny Tina as well. Um, and that list probably won't make it the whole year, with the exception of probably uh, Horizon. I think will probably be yeah. the only one that'll still be my top three. Um, but so far, yeah, I think out of those, the ones that I've played, I think those are those are my go tos. That's a solid list, man. Maybe I'll have to move Ghostwire up because 
after Stray. Stray is next. Then we'll it's go not terribly long, if that if that helps. It's not a super long game. You can spend a lot of time because there's a lot of open world and side quest stuff. But if you want to just do enough to keep you, you know, power level good so that you can continue the story, the main story, mm-hmm. you can certainly do that and, and get through it in probably 20, 30 hours. So it's not like a giant, giant game. Actually, probably less than that. Probably 15 to 20 hours. Is it hard? Um, I didn't find it to be hard, but I kept leveling up my stuff as I could. So I stayed on, on course with that because I like the side quest. That's the one thing is the side quests actually give you uh, additional stories to go through. And it's not just like, oh, I don't want to say. It. So, yes, a lot of them are like, go here and get this. And that's the thing. But they infuse it with the story. So, yes, it's fetch quest, so to speak. But they're giving you stories since everybody you engage with technically is dead. You're learning yeah. about them and what happened to them. And some of the stories are really kind of cool that you could easily miss if you just kind of mainline the game. But I wouldn't say it's a hard game, no. Okay, cool. All right, well, man, I'm going to have to probably add that to the list then. Uh, here we go. All <laughs> right, so then on to our actual topics of the show. Uh, I just put together some uh, headlines, some news, some game th- announcements and things. I figured we could talk about them because I figured that might be fun. Um the first one, honestly, is just a story because uh, Kevin is here. So, and we both like food <laughs> and chefs. So, uh, Kevin, the big question: Are you going to be playing the ASMR food experience, which is going to be coming to Steam? This is from the nice people over at Games Radar. Um, a developer is making a restaurant simulation game that's essentially just an excuse to listen to oodles of food ASMR. The appropriately named ASMR food experience has been availed for a Steam release at some point in the future, though you can put it on your wish list already. You'll be running a cozy restaurant and keeping busy with the day-to-day chores of deliveries, cleaning, taking care of the herbarium, and keeping the restaurant spick and span. Really, though, keeping on top of your tasks is mainly an excuse to take in a variety, take in a variety of sounds on offer. Um, so that is just a brief little write-up about ASMR food experience. Uh, Kevin, any interest to play a cooking slash restaurant sim that has really nice sounds that give you tingles? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't know about this at all until you put it on the list. So this is kind of cool. Um, the only thing that's going to get in my way, though, is the fact that it's going to be on PC and mm-hmm. my potato of a PC. I'm looking at the, the the trailer and stuff. I don't think can handle this even remotely. Um, so maybe if I turn down all the settings and the audio is still good. Um, but if it ever comes to console or something like that, this is definitely something I would play. I've done. Uh, cooking simulator uh, i've done it on both pc and then i got it on console when it came to there as well um so i do like that stuff and the fact that this is focusing i don't want to say focusing less on cooking but i, I feel like the cooking is going to be substantially easier because you're just going through the motions um right. i actually like this uh this would be something i could see myself wasting time with it is if the trailer gives you any indication of what the game is going to actually look like it is quite a looker um so i still find it fascinating to even just watch and listen to that experience like you said with the with the good set of headphones it could be really cool to get that kind of coffee shop restaurant vibe the sizzles the the clanking of the dishes and stuff like that like it's all it's an experience for sure like i wouldn't say it's a game and it's in the title it's a food experience um yeah. but i i definitely think this actually looks really cool so if this isn't like a 60 dollar game and i can get it on a on a console eventually uh yeah this is definitely something i would i would want to check out yeah it- this this whole simulation genre, as you were even just talking about Power Wash Simulator, either and there's earlier, and you know, I know Gas Station Simulator last year was a big deal for a yes. lot of people. Um, people have ridiculous setups for like Euro Truck Simulator, you know, like all of these things have an audience, and this might be the first one of these 
that I am like, oh, I might want to check this one out and yeah. see how this goes. Um, I know that I, I know there's one other like chef like cooking simulator that's out on PC. I, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, yeah, cook, but cooking simulator. Is it just cooking simulator? Yeah. So yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think that's really cool, and the trailer definitely does a very good job of delivering those ASMR uh, yep. audio cues to your body and being like, oh goodness gracious. How much would, you know, a whole sitting down to play two hours of this? I wonder how that would go for me. So yeah. uh, it does look good. It looks better than I anticipated that it would. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I'm definitely going to keep an eye on it and we'll see. And that's one thing I just love about games these days is something like this, like has a possibility of like being a successful game, right? Like it doesn't right. have to, you don't have to just have things that sell millions and millions of copies. Like you could find things that just find a small passionate audience. And that seems like something that could. So, yeah. and I will say like, like you said, those other simulator games, generally speaking, they don't always are, are lookers. This for anybody listening, this does not look like those games. This looks really gorgeous. When you look at the graphics and the detail in there, it's all there. And you think, you know, again, Kyle and I like to cook and stuff. The, the sound that you hear when cooking too is also part of how you cook like you can tell mm-hmm. like is this pan too hot is it not hot enough like you can tell the sizzle you know, the, the noise yeah. it's part of the experience so it, it makes sense and you look at how many people are into a- asmr i'm not i'm not one of those people like do the twitch streams or listen to like audio things but mm-hmm. when you say it in the in the scope of cooking you're like wow yeah those are you know sound is a big aspect of it and you hear a lot of stuff so uh makes sense to me but yeah i'm on board as silly as it yes. is i'm on board well because they've even said like that's how you can tell like if cakes are done yeah. Is by how they sound when you mm-hmm. pull them out of the oven. Yeah. Uh, I actually listen. I don't listen to much ASMR. The only time I listen to ASMR is when I am editing the podcast. Really? Because it's something. Yeah. It's something. And I, it's actually, it's chiropractic ASMR. So it's people getting like chiropractic oh, cracks, adjustments. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because it's something that like, it's enough that I can like listen to the audio of the podcast. But like, and like, while I'm like stopping to like edit make changes and adjustments Mm -hmm. there's still some audio that's going on that isn't like distracting me when i'm actually listening to the podcast while i'm editing it so because i couldn't handle like just stopping and like cutting things and adjusting things and tweaking things and going back and listening and just having it be silent during that time it just bothered me so that's what i listen to is people getting (laughs) back adjustments while i'm editing the podcast no actually i'm I'm thinking about it and i guess i'm using asmr thinking about it in the wrong terms like would you count stuff like like rainstorm noise and stuff like that would that still fall under asmr like i i like a lot of people use this to fall asleep too and i do do that sometimes but there's right. there's one youtube channel i do use sometimes when i'm working it's called nemo's dreamscapes and mm-hmm. they do different i guess asmr but they put it with music as well so for example the one of the ones i listen to is you're standing outside a coffee shop in the 1950s and rain is falling and right. you hear like 1950s like old school music playing like it sounds like far away like through a glass and you hear the rain falling as well and they do like a bunch of stuff like that like oh there's you're sitting outside in your grandma's house and she's playing you know music on the radio and you hear crickets and they kind of combine those two different things so it's not just you're not focusing on anything it's two things right. out in the distance so I, I do listen to some of those if you count that i'm not sure but i know like asmr sometimes is just like the noise and nothing else you know yeah i mean to me that's more of like a soundscape yeah um because to me, like ASMR, the intent is to get like the tingles. Yeah, yeah. you know. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. so, but yeah, I mean, I'm also not someone who's going to get <laughs> too caught up in the definition of what is and what is not. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, oh. it's it's, but yeah, because I don't I don't know that the cooking noises would give me tingles, but it, it would be satisfying. Oh man, did you listen to the audio of like when they were pouring that yeah. like yeah, soda yeah. into the glass? I was like, Ooh, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. I did get go. a little bit. Yeah. 
a lot of the other ones didn't but that one that one got me yeah. I was like, oh i didn't, didn't even think that would get me and it did especially with good headphones so, which like it just gets in there it gets in your ear yeah you know? for sure all right so next are you a playstation star or stars <laughs> uh so also from games radar a new playstation stars loyalty program will award select products plus playstation store funds and digital collectibles uh, which are definitely not NFTs. They said like 9,000 <laughs> times. You cannot uh, resell them. <laughs> Sony will launch a new loyalty program. Call PlayStation Stars later this year to reward regular and avid players with points that can be spent on PlayStation Store funds and products as well as other new digital collectibles. Grace Gen, Vice President of Network Ad- Advertising Loyalty and Licensed Merchandise, what a title, announced the program to in a PlayStation blog post. PlayStation Stars will be a free to join and members can earn rewards and points through a variety of campaigns and activities ranging from playing any game on at least a monthly basis to obtaining specific trophies or even being the first player to platinum a blockbuster title in your local time zone. Blockbuster titles would presumably include the likes of God of War, Ragnarok, and other first party headliners. PlayStation Plus apparently isn't required to join PlayStation Stars, but Plus subscribers who enroll would will also automatically earn points on store purchases, which can then be spent at the PlayStation Store on wallet funds or products. How many points you need to purchase, say a new PS5 game or other such games will eventually be be directly available for points is uncertain, etc., etc., etc. It goes on to talk about all the fun things. Um, obviously, this isn't new. You know, Xbox has a program, Nintendo has a program, um, but now PlayStation finally getting on the boat. Of they had a program previously where you could earn points that was done through Sony, um, but now they have a specific PlayStation branded one. Uh, thoughts, Kevin? Are you going to become a PlayStation star? I mean, yeah, just because I purchase stuff through the PlayStation Store, I'm I'm 100 digital on games nowadays, so. Yeah, by default, I'm going to use it. And I, I don't see myself redeeming for anything other than like store credit or for games themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. Digital rewards, if it's going to be like, I don't know, you know, concept art and stuff like that. I don't, I don't really care about that. Maybe themes I might purchase uh, if yeah. some, something comes across. that's kind of cool. But yeah, ultimately, like I, I just see it as a, it's a great benefit. They're late to the party. Because like you said, even Nintendo does it, which is kind of weird to, to say that Nintendo <laughs> right. did it before. Um but yeah, it's definitely it's the right it's a step in the right direction. Sony is continuously trying to play catch up, not in the sense that they they need to financially or like sales wise, because we certainly know they're doing just fine there. But I think in taking care of the customer side of things, they're starting to pay a little bit more attention to things like that. Um, yeah. Doing the new PlayStation Plus, which yes, it's not Game Pass, and people are angry about that, but. I think it's a definitely a step in the right direction and I'm not mad at what they're doing with it. This is another good faith gesture as well to just these little things here. So it's a good move. Um, is it groundbreaking is going to make me change my purchase habits? Probably not. I'm still going to purchase things the way I do today and I'll get some, some freebies and some benefits for making purchases now, which is always a plus. You know? Yeah. Um, this definitely is. Yeah. Kind of them finally catching up. I will. The thing about this that is most exciting to me though, is, um, not necessarily the digital collectibles, but slightly that because I've always thought it was really cool that like when you would platinum like a first party game, some of them occasionally would like, hey, they'd send you an email being like, thanks for platinuming our game. We really appreciate it. Here's a code for like a wallpaper. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, this is awesome. Or a theme. You're like, this is awesome. Like those are the sorts of things to like reward the players who yeah. are doing cool things or really sticking with your products and playing your games, like rewarding them with something that 
probably costs you like how long did it take someone to put together that theme right like if you think about it probably not all that long and you're going to be giving it to how many people seems yep. worth the investment as far as that goes uh there are some people who think this is a sign because there's been rumors about especially with psvr 2 that playstation home will be coming back that, um, that'd so be cool people, i'd be down for that yeah so there's some people who say this is like the forebearer of that like these digital collectibles would then be in your playstation home that friends could come visit and see okay and that you'd be able to kind of show it off that way yeah um, and if that's true that's kind of neat right like that's kind of cool that's, that's like yeah going on a tour of somebody's animal crossing island and being like hey look at this you know kind exactly of the same thing there yeah. so you know that might be kind of neat um but I, for me it, it really is just that opportunity to potentially um you know be recognized for like hey you did a you got a platinum awesome here's this thing that's actually what's more exciting to me uh, will i obviously take the credits to buy games sure but i basically buy all my games through them anyway already so it's just gonna yep. be like occasionally i'll be like hey i guess this game's gonna be free which actually yeah. happened to me on nintendo one time where i was like i have enough coins i don't have to buy this game sweet <laughs> yeah here are my coins you know deal. like exactly so so yeah so it'll be nice to do that just every once in a while i'm not anticipating that i'm gonna it's gonna start getting a free game a month or anything like that as no. a of it. but but yeah so good on them we'll see you know once we actually see the breakdown of how things how many dollars will you have to spend to actually get like a free full game that's when i think we'll really know where things are at but steps in the right direction at least hopefully they continue to do that so all right so next on the list then um hey supermassive games was acquired uh but maybe not by who we would have guessed so supermassive <laughs> was one of those companies that was often thrown around in the idea of like when acquisitions were coming up especially because of the relationship they had with playstation um for games in the past a lot of people thought that maybe that'd be a direction they would go but then they had obviously the relationship with uh 2k for the quarry and bandai namco i believe it is for um their other game series their pictures anthology games um but hey guess what they got purchased anyway um by nordisk games over in denmark um they also are the ones who own avalanche the makers of the one avalanche not the other avalanche uh the <laughs> which is always really really confusing um yes but they um are best known for the just cause series and things like that so that's kind of the avalanche studios that they own um but also apparently they own uh part of mercury steam which i did not realize which who are the folks who made Metroid Dread, which just yeah. surprised me. I, I did not know that they own part of them. But anyway, um, so yeah, Supermassive now been acquired, uh, but maybe by not a company we we're anticipating. Uh, what is your thoughts on Supermassive in general, Kevin? Do you think this is a good move for them? Do you think them being under a, a company that has some gaming, but some other things that they do as well? Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, th this was definitely surprising. Uh, like you said, I mean, if they were going to be acquired in my head, you know, I would have wanted them. So it's not even like I would have figured they would go. I would have wanted them to be acquired by Sony to get more of those those games out there. Because, you know, un Until Dawn, great. The Quarry, I haven't played it yet, but I do want to play it. Like, those are, in my mind, better than, like, the the anthology pictures yeah. games. Like, I'm not huge fans of those. Um, and I would have wanted more of those experiences. I, I guess I don't understand why. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. why? Like, did they need to be acquired? I, I thought they were just doing okay. Like, it didn't seem like it was it was one that would be, uh, you know, open necessarily to acquisitions. I thought they would have been doing fine. And, and you figure Sony has to be bankrolling them at least quite a bit to get, you know, exclusivity on things and stuff. So in my head, it would have made more sense. But I mean, I guess it's good. They'll they'll have more funding, hopefully available. And 
with without any interference on the kinds of games they want to make because that's that's ideally what we always want for a lot of these studios is to get that funding and still continue to do what they do and maybe just make it better quality now with more assets um so that that's what i hope happens I, i hope it just doesn't get lost in the shuffle here where i think a Sony or an Xbox, as much as I don't want to see them continue to just acquire things, I feel mm-hmm. like they would have had that studio's best intentions in mind, whereas I don't know where this stands versus where Microsoft or Sony would have done. Yeah, I, I do think one thing that's surprising is that apparently Supermassive is over 300 people. Yeah. So they're super massive. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm here all day. Here all day. Um, which is big, right? For if you think yeah. of what they do in, in the the quality of the games they put out, that seems like a lot of people. Now, granted, they have put games out on an extremely regular clip. Like yeah. they basically have a game a year. This year they're gonna have two games. Yep. Um, so they're getting games out very quickly, very regularly, and they're definitely not the blockbuster titles but as yeah. far as AAA, you know best the other visuals are pretty good overall uh but they sell well the games tend to sell pretty well and even though they you know review mediocre mediocrely that was yeah that's what i'm going for there they're they're average they're fine right their games are fine but josh and i've had a great time playing them like we've played the three dark pictures anthology games and had a good time playing them together i don't know that i ever want to play them alone um sure especially right. those ones uh the quarry though i really enjoyed i had a lot of fun with the quarry um but yeah i i anticipated that if they were going to be pick, picked up by someone i even thought potentially um oh what's that other big people who are acquiring everyone they they're the ones who bought um just bought the western studios from square why am i blanking on them is that thq nordic no, nah, uh, they're the ones who own THQ Nordic. Right. Uh, um, why can I not remember what they're called? The something group. Embracer group. There we go. I Embracer, was going to get there yes, eventually. Yes. So I thought Embracer group might pick them up. That actually is kind of who I thought would be more sure. likely to pick them up um, from, you know, as a European based conglomerate who is, who's really looking at expanding their footprint and, um, it, it just seems that the quality of game that in general Supermassive puts out tends to fit with the quality of game we have seen from most Embracer Group studios. Um, yeah, that, that makes sense. It's just, I mean, it to me, what they've done, most of their stuff, I know they don't only do horror. They've done other stuff in the past, you know, working on Little Big Planet and stuff like that, too. But like you with horror movies as well, they typically aren't very well critically reviewed right but there's a massive audience of people who enjoy them so that's where it's kind of like that's where i put them so like i kind of just like i hope they just keep doing that and are able to do that and like but in my head that's how i justify their their critics things it's it's not for everybody because they're they're, there's that theme that's not for everybody it's not it they don't make games to appeal to the the broader audience like they very specifically have a target market they're going for and they get those folks regardless of what critics say like if the quarry reviewed poorly or if you know any of the horror anthology reviewed poorly like you said you and josh played them all anyway like yeah. did that really have any bearing on you deciding not to play it? no you enjoy them so you're gonna play them right so yeah. i just hope that continues along they're able to make the games that they want to with the understanding that yes everything's not going to be a 90 percent you know metacritic score or you know three million copies sold kind of game it's going to be what they do well and sometimes things are just fun and they're they don't necessarily yeah. have to be good to be fun so our washing simulator <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. So Skate 4, which is now just going to be Skate, so it's not Skate 4, uh, is going to be free to play. Uh, again, coming from the folks at GamesRadar, who I use for like everything, uh, <laughs> EA has announced that Skate 4, or just Skate if you prefer, will be a live service free-to-play game due to launch across PC, PlayStation, Xbox platforms with cross-play and cross-progression. The news comes as part of a new developer stream in which the devs insist the game is not pay-to-win and that there will be no map areas locked behind a paywall, no paid loot boxes, and no paid gameplay advantages. They add that the game is taking inspiration from titles like Apex Legends for its monetization model in an effort to provide a good experience to players who don't want to spend money. The devs also insist that this is not Skate 4. In other words, it's not a direct sequel or remake or remaster for that matter. There are no plans for standalone sequels as the studio intends to pour updates into this game as it continues to evolve. It takes place in San Van- Vansterdam, a whole new city considered sort of a sister city to San Van- Vanalona of the older games. Um, so with that, Skate 4 slash just Skate now, I guess. I guess, you know, Modern Warfare 2, Modern Warfare 2, Skate 4, not Skate and Skate. We're just doing these things now. Uh, what's your thoughts? Are you a fan of the Skate franchise? And what do you think about it going free-to-play? No, so I've always been a more Tony Hawk guy versus Skate. Uh, but I certainly know it has a, a huge audience. And I know a lot of people have been clamoring for this sequel that's now not a sequel. But um, I think fans of Skate will probably be happy with this. I like the fact that they're coming up front saying we're not doing loot boxes. We're not doing pay-to-win. We're going to follow Apex Legends model, which means there'll probably be a season pass and some sort of progression thing you can do or, or special events that you can purchase, but they don't have any actual impact on the game, just cosmetics. Um, I am perfectly fine with that model. I'm not against that model by any means. I've spent plenty of time in Apex. Um, I personally, and I would love to be proven wrong, but I feel like this is something that would maybe not have the teeth that they're expecting to keep going like in Apex Legends. Uh, mm-hmm. I, know, I know a lot of people like enjoy skate, but like, are you really going to play that kind of game for years and years and years and keep putting in passes? Um, you know, if the content's there, maybe, but it's not going to have that audience that uh, a Warzone, an Apex, a uh, Fortnite, and that kind of stuff would have. And I kind of worry that this would be, you know, abandoned in a year, year and a half, depending on what happens with it. I think people will jump on and totally try it out. By all means, I'll, I'll probably check it out just to see what it's about. But, I don't know that people are going to continue to play this for years and years and years. I'd love to be wrong, but we know with uh, EA that they would, you know, not hesitate to just dump it. If it's not making the money, we've seen that in the past. Um, yeah. So I'd be a little concerned about the longevity of this, you know, once it drops. Yeah, this will be interesting. Um, I, I've tried playing skate and I was horrible at it. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that it's a bad game. It just means I'm bad at it. And fortunately or unfortunately, sometimes when I'm real bad at something, it makes me not want to play it. Exactly. Yep. You know, so I hope that this is able to find a home. And I, I know the people who are super passionate about skate. Um, I hope this works for them and is what they're looking for. If it's free to play, will I try it? I'll absolutely try it. But I don't know that this is going to be a game that I'm going to play, whether it was a $60 game or $70 game or a free to play game. I'll try it since it'll be free to play, but I I really don't know if this is what I'm going to jump in on. Um, I I do wonder how much we're going to get into this idea, though, of like, now it's just Skate because we're not going to do Skate 2 because everything is just part of this living world where we're just going to update this one thing all the time. You know, we have that with Halo Infinite now that is, you know, they're just going to update that moving forward. I wonder if that's going to just kind of be... 
I wonder if we'll ever get there for Madden or for Call of Duty or for any of these other titles, NBA 2K. You know, will we get into just the platform with updates that you maybe you is free to play or you pay just a subscription to or whatever, rather than these, you know, all these time box copies. I wonder wonder what's going to happen with that. I don't yeah, know I mean, we, we've said it for years and years and years. That how, are, how are sports games still released annually? Like, why aren't yeah. you just releasing roster updates and make make enhancements by all means? Like, we, we look at, like, every one of these games that have been live service that still keep going have evolved. They've gotten better. They've changed. You know, Fortnite right. Apex, they're very different games than they were when they started. Yeah. Warzone, very different than when it started. There's no reason to say that they couldn't. And if they make enough money off of the passes, off the cosmetics, stuff like that, they can do it. Right. I, I think the model is fine. I just don't know if the audience is there and knowing how hungry EA is from for numbers. Right. I don't know that they're going to get it off of this. And that's where I'm scared. Of. I'm not I'm not against the idea. Um, like you said, is it for me? Probably not. I'll try it. But that's fine. It doesn't need to be for me. It's OK. But they need to have an audience that's willing to pay the money and keep it going in order for EA to keep supporting this. And if they say this is what we're doing from now on, we're not making sequels. Does that mean if this doesn't work after a year? They're just not going to do skate ever again. That that could be a possibility. Like, look at how long Tony Hawk was gone for. Right. Um, and, you know, still what we got wasn't a sequel. It was just a remaster. So it, that stuff could happen if that audience isn't there. Games like SSX that I love. Like, there's no, there hasn't been SSX in like a decade, if not longer. Um, yeah. These are all games that, like, if they try and adopt that methodology and it's just the audience isn't there, or if they're looking for an audience like a Warzone, like a Fortnite, like an Apex it's not going to be there. Like, let's just be honest. It's not going to hit those numbers. It's really not. I don't see it coming anywhere near those numbers, but is EA going to say that that's fine. We're going to make it, we're going to make enough money to, to substantiate this decision and keep going and continue to devote assets to updating it and making, you know, new releases and stuff, then that's fine. But if they sit there and say, well, we need to hit this number. Otherwise it's not worth it. That's what makes me nervous about this model being adopted widespread is if it goes that model, we're not going to have many games because not everything is going to be a war zone, a Fortnite, an Apex, things of that right. nature. Not everything's going to do that. Yeah, I, I do think it'd be fun to see. And I, I don't know if it would work, but for like Madden, right, if they went to a free to play model and you either, either could purchase or through a battle pass type system earn like, hey, you can earn your teams like home alternate or away alternate uniforms yeah. you can earn like old stadiums that your team used to play in yeah. classic throwback uniforms for previous names for your, like all of that stuff right like yeah. where that you could earn and go through and i think that'd be obviously hard because there's probably more limitations that when you have like we have to make it football still right like what we can't go completely wacky with that stuff so it might be like that more challenging but I feel like there is a a path there where they could easily do something like that if they want. They could to. definitely do some stuff. They'd probably be some difficulty just with the licensing. I don't know how much the yeah. NFL would let them do. Right. Um, yeah. Like like you think like <laughs> Halo. Okay, you, you complete the battle pass. You got flaming armor. They're not going to do that with the NFL players. They're not going to have like Tom Brady on fire. <laughs> flaming like, helmets. Yeah, it, it wouldn't happen. It, it, I think it'd be cool, but they're not going to. Yeah, the NFL's not going to let that happen. Um, NBA basically just turned to NBA Jam at that point, but. Yeah. Um, you know, it'd be cool, but yeah, you're right. Like that model just isn't going to fit for every type of game, but time will tell, I guess. Um, okay. So I don't want to put you on the spot, but this just reminded me of something when you brought up Tony Hawk's pro skater. Yeah. Uh, I, I was watching a Twitch stream of, of a Twitch streamer. It doesn't matter who it was. Um, but they were doing a thing where they're doing like a video game tournament where they were having the people on their, in their, in their chat vote like they put two games against each other vote and they were like basically yeah. doing a tournament for the and the tournament was like best game at its prime that okay. was the important thing because like 
Goldeneye is prime, like ver- you know, like Goldeneye today of is course. not, you know, right. No. <laughs> um, but one of the th- games that was on there was Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I think it was Pro Skater One, if I recall, not Pro Skater Two. Okay. Um, and he, while this was going on, he's like, "Oh, I'm going to like." He put in the background. He's like, "This is like the definitive song related to Tony Hawk's Pro Skater." Do you have when you think of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater? Is there a song that comes to mind for you? Because there's one that comes to mind for me, and I feel like it's the. I think there's like two potential songs, maybe three that most people would pick. But the one he picked, I was like, this is it right because this is a Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 song, number one. Number two, I don't think this is right because I think this song was also popular outside of being part of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. So I don't know that this was the right pick. So I'm wondering if there is something that for you comes out. And just for myself, when I think Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, I think Superman by Goldfinger. That is the song that comes. That's what I was going to say. So he picked, he was playing Gorilla Radio by Rage Against the Machine, which again was in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. Sure. But I don't I don't know that, like, I played a lot of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, and because that song was just so popular separate from the game, right. I never associate it with the game. Maybe I'm wrong about that. No, I think you're right. Yeah, it came out the same year. So that that's the one thing. So it did come out on the same year as the game but you're right it was so much bigger than the game that i wouldn't right i wouldn't think of it at all right i mean that it's it's very different than um like when you think about music and games that really stand out it's like like crazy taxi all the offspring songs (laughs) right exactly offspring obviously was big but like that you think of all those songs like a lot of those you didn't know until you played that game yeah gorilla radio if you listen to alternative or rock or like you knew that song in 1999 like that was not right it was inescapable. So yeah. I, I don't associate it with that at all. I kind of actually forgot until you said it and I just did a Google search. I like that was even on there. Um, <laughs> right. So I chose like all the mainstream ones don't stick out for me in, in any game that has like real licensed music. It's always like those, that weird song that you didn't know and you're introduced to something you didn't know about, which for me was Superman Goldfinger. Like right. that was that was introduced to me via that game. So now I associate it with that game. Right. It was definitely the other way around with gorilla radio and rage so like i was already listening to rage so yeah yeah because i think superman gold figure maybe police truck by the dead kennedys um okay sure. i think is, yeah. the other, is the other one i think that people might associate just i don't okay. know how many dead kennedys fans there were prior to yes yeah you know um but yeah i mean I'm, i just feel like superman gold figure is like the the tony hawks pro skater song yes i agree uh, okay. i'm with you cool all right well i'm gonna count that as me being right then okay yes you're right <laughs> yes not very rarely do I hear that. <laughs> All right. So just a, a little board game news here as we get close to wrapping the show up since we're getting close to that 90 minute mark here. Uh, and this one, I don't know if there's a ton to say about it, but it's just, you know, we talk about acquisitions and and in video games about how, you know, we have more and more companies being swallowed up by just a few companies, right? That everything's kind of condensing and consolidating. Um, and, you know, things are pretty much the same in the board game world, too. Obviously, Asmodee um, has been buying a lot of board game developers and publishers. Well, course, TCG yeah. Player now has acquired Channel Fireball, which is basically taking two of the biggest online names in Magic the Gathering all under one roof. Um, so this is from the folks over at Dicebreaker. Uh, TCG Player, one of the largest storefronts in the Magic the Gathering secondary market, has announced plans to acquire point-of-sale provider and content creator Channel Fireball 
for an undisclosed sum. The move, which should be finalized within a couple of weeks, will consolidate two huge names in the trading games ecosystem. So I think for most of our listeners, this isn't going to be a big deal. They're like, whatever, I order cards from TCG Player or or Channel Fireball, if you even order cards or you just don't care about this. Right. Um, but one thing that is interesting about all of this is that, you know, there is obviously for video games a secondary market for used games, but it tends to be focused more on collectors, right? Yep. Whereas in Magic the Gathering, the secondary market is almost exclusively not I shouldn't say that is there's a large part of it that's focused on people who are playing the game today that need to build a deck for a tournament they're playing in this weekend that right. they need to go and order a card from a, a, a secondary market provider to get it because they cracked all of their packs and they didn't get the cards that they did. Yeah, they're looking for right? something very specific to flesh out their deck versus I'm looking to buy a pack. Like, yeah. Right. So a big a big concern it becomes then is that is price, right? Like if you have less and less groups that are you're able to buy cards from, what does this mean for the value of cards in general? Um so I don't know, like I said, Kevin, I know you're not a huge necessarily like magic player or anything like that, but just thoughts on, you know, the ever consol the the consolidating future of of games in general is is is, are we all gonna be okay for those of us who are like all doom and gloom about consolidation are we are we being over dramatic what do you what do you think so i mean this is it's different in my mind when you look at you know game developers being swallowed versus this because this is secondhand market like you said so these are people that already bought stuff at retail value now they're selling it for whatever they deem it to be worth based on supply and demand whatever Mm -hmm. um Similar to how, like, how we all complain about GameStop's used game prices, how like, oh, you, you'll give me $10 for this game, but then you're charging $50 for it. Right. You know, that's ridiculous. Um, obviously, the same thing can happen with, with cards. By all means, we know certain there's Magic Gathering cards that are up there in the thousands in some in some cases. Yeah. Um, in my mind, though, it, I, I'm not as bothered by it. Um, and I'll tell you, because I, I look at it this way, that if there's if you're that player who's looking for it for a specific reason, not collector base. So, so the scenario that you mentioned, which I think will be a larger population, I think having less options may be better simply because of supply flow. So now instead of saying, okay, here's this one card I want. I need to check these 10 different places. Well, now if it's only five, yeah, the price might be a little bit higher, but now you're more likely to get exactly what you're looking for. In my mind, like I'm thinking there's, there's a finite amount of inventory. We know that period. So if I don't need to search for all these different places, it might make it more readily available for me to get. Now, Mm -hmm. you're right. They can certainly charge more if the the supply and demand is there. But in my mind, the same thing is going to happen if you have 10 options. Yeah, Yeah. one site might charge you $5 less, but you're still spending a couple hundred. Does that really matter in the grand scheme of things? Yeah. As long as it doesn't reach that GameStop level where it's like, hey, the only place you can buy used games is GameStop and maybe a mom and pop shop, which who knows if they're going to be there three months from now, just because of the way that market works. I think the same thing happens in a lot of card shops, comic shops, stuff like that. Nowadays we see a lot of them can't uh, substantiate that business, to keep going, keep their head above water. Um, so that sometimes consolidation makes sense simply for the, the people who are looking for something in particular makes it easier for them to get it. May not be great for the industry, for the business, but I think for the players, I don't see it as a bad thing first. Yeah. And their TCG player is one of those and, and I got to be careful about how I say this now. <laughs> there has been some concerns with the quality sure. of their customer service as of late. Okay. Um, yep. You can go and obviously, usually only people who have bad experiences are, are going to complain, right? Exactly. Yep. Um, but you, if you go onto like the magic Reddit and things like that, 
Uh, there are examples of people who literally spent a thousand dollars on cards and then got an open envelope with nothing in it. And TCG players like, no, we sh- we shipped them to you. And the 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 mailer is even labeled from the post office as opened. And right. and they're just like too bad, so sad, you know. Like, and Grant is this suddenly gonna like get worse now, right? Like, no. But I, I think that's where some of the concern comes from is sure. that there there are accusations that um, it's not uncommon for people to be like, oh, you bought this card. I'm just going to take this one out and slide it in my pocket and, and ship you the rest of your cards. Right. Because but also if you figure you're ordering, if you're ordering, you know, 100 cards. And somebody has to go hand pull every single one of those mistakes will happen. Mistakes are going to happen, right? Yeah. Like that, that's just going to happen. But I think, and getting those things corrected is hard, right? Because how I could easily tell you that like, Hey, I ordered a thousand dollars worth of cards, but this $250 one, you never sent me really the $250 one. It? We didn't send you, but we sent yep. you all of the other ones that were 50 cents, you know, like that kind of, you know, like yep. I get it. And I, people are not always honest and that sucks. And that makes it really, really hard. Um, and even if they wanted to take care of you. So let's say that they, they fix their customer service issues because now they have more assets because of this acquisition. Okay. Maybe that's the case in, in this type of industry. There may not be that many of whatever said item, right? Like yeah. if it's this really expensive card that there's 10 of, oh, they missed, they lost one in the mail. Are they really going to send you one of the nine that are left? <laughs> maybe, right. maybe not. Probably not. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And lots, I mean, lots of insurance claims over at the post office. <laughs> yeah. I have no doubt that there are. And, you know, there are still online retailers like Card Kingdom still exists. Star City sure. Games still exists. Like the, there eBay, are other online retailers. eBay always will be there. Um, And your friendly local game stores are always there. Like that is magic is basically what keeps those places afloat. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you're, there's almost always going to be some other options, but it'll be interesting to see if this does have any impact. Um, If it does have any long term um impact on, on the price of cards for magic and pokemon and things like that so cool all right uh i see kevin you threw one on here do you want to cover bring up the one that I, you threw on here i did i thought this was kind of cool and i know there's other things similar to it but this is a new one in my book is that uh, all on board is an upcoming board game simulator but that's built exclusively for vr uh, so blasphemous developer the game kitchen has announced a virtual reality board game platform called all on board alongside a kickstarter campaign to help fund it of course because that's what we do um basically it's similar to tabletop simulator uh offering licensed board games as mods so you, you purchase the software then you need to buy the games to play within the software but unlike tabletop simulator it's meant to be played in vr so it's aiming for a more true to life experience um, that you're actually sitting there with your friends and playing. Obviously, you know, it's an avatar. It's not a realistic looking person, but it's something there. You got your hands moving, stuff like that. Um, you don't have to set up a board game. Obviously, you don't have to worry about all the pieces and the pack away and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of cool there. Uh, it's going to launch for the MetaQuest 2 and Steam VR capable headsets in 2023 at some point. Um, but yeah, it's going to include uh, several licensed IPs already, including Black Rose War, wars rallyman gt sword and sorcery infinite defiance istanbul and escape the dark castle alongside uh, creation tools for people to make their own games which i think is pretty cool uh but just being able to be able to just being able to do it in vr i think gives a little bit uh different um feel to it i think it makes it a little bit more fun to play with your buddies and uh and be able to experience that in vr i think it's uh, it's pretty cool yeah, this looks really neat. Um, I, I do hope that they're able to get, and I know it says that they're going to be announcing additional uh, licensed games. Uh, that's always the hard part, is that having official versions of the games on these things is is always the challenging part. Granted, the, the cool thing is that 
everyone could just build whatever they want to in these and you could build a game then call um instead of having carcassonne you could have carca yes and like and yep. just and have it you know play the same ostensibly and things like that but um, i think it's just a, another cool way to be able to in in a time where we're, you know we're all friends who live far far apart uh a chance to get together a little easier and and in the way it's a little bit easier than trying to like play through webcams and things like that. Absolutely. So. And the other cool thing too with this as well, it's a little bit different is only one person needs to own the copy of the game. Yeah. So if Kyle buys the game, then you can send an invite to me, Josh and Lucas, and we can all hop on our VR headsets and play together. That's cool as well. It's a little bit different than what we get with steam where everyone has to have a copy of the game as well. Um, this yeah. works a little bit differently. So I think it's a little bit more user-friendly and, and realistic. Like you said, being able to help, uh, make that game night that we all really want to be able to do, but it's just not possible with distance and stuff like that. Uh, make it a little more user-friendly, you know? And yeah, I mean, like you said, I do think having just one person have to own it is big. Cause you know, that's the way to be. If you got together to play a tabletop game, like I just have to bring my copy and then we can all play it together and it's going to be a great fun. So um, exactly. That is pretty cool. Um, we'll see. I hope it's successful. These things are always a bit challenging. And as someone who doesn't play a ton of online board games, uh, on like tabletop simulator or anything like that it i hope this is successful i don't really have a vr headset to work with it right now either but sure stay me, more, me either but ways. like it it'd be something to get me interested you know like that yeah. it's it, psvr what they're doing with that like it could come to that eventually too but it's all stuff like that that to me gives me a practical reason to say okay now maybe i could want a vr headset and make that justification justification of that purchase um but like you said the games need to be there we need to have that content there to help uh, keep that going because I don't want to just play the same four games. You want the different games and, you know, ideally a real version of said games would be nice. So, Oh, for sure. For sure. All right. Um, just one real quick note. Uh, this isn't really a story that we need to talk about, but uh, the Spiel des Jahres did announce the winners of the 2022 Spiel des Jahres uh, categories. Um, and the winner of the Spiel des Jahres is actually Cascadia, um, which I think is what Josh and I thought would win was Cascadia. Yep. Um, and then Scout and Top 10 were the other two nominated games there. So big, big props to Cascadia for the win there. Uh, for the Kinderspiel, so for the kids game, uh, Magic Mountain is what won um, with uh, uh, That's Pretty Clever Kids or Gone Sean Clever Kids um, and Quacks and Quedlinburg Dash, which are the kids version of Quacks and Quedlinburg. Quacks, yeah, um, yeah. Were the other two nominees there, but again, uh, Magic Mountain winning. And then for the Kenner Spiel or like the heavy Euro or the or more advanced game, uh, Living Forest was the winner. Uh, Cryptid and Dune Imperium were the other two nominated. So there you go. There are your winners Cascadia for the Spiels, the CRS, Magic Mountain for the Kinder Spiel, um, and Living Forest for the Kenner Spiel. Um, apparently, uh, in Germany, the winner of the Spiel des Jahres usually sells like 200,000 additional copies of their game oh, within yeah. like the month after the, the winners announced. So, oh, yeah. It congratulations, makes Cascadia, even though I feel like everybody already has Cascadia. Congratulations. Say, yeah. For sure. Cool. With that, before we uh, wrap things up, Kevin, anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you want to chat about before we kind of get to the end of the show here? No, I think I'm good. We covered uh, certainly a, a, a plethora of topics, you know this evening so i'm i'm good awesome all right well hey we are going to move towards wrapping the show up then with our recommendations for a well-rounded life obviously we're a gaming podcast but we want to give you one other recommendation suggestion or thing we're into that is helping us live that well-rounded life uh kevin would you like to go first would you like me to go first what, what would you like 
No, I'll go first. And I'm pretty sure this is something Josh has, has had to have said at some point. If not, he clearly has expressed this as well, if you know him in his online presence. And I echo this is uh, for me, I occasionally I like to, to disconnect and, and find forms of entertainment that don't require me to stare at a screen, uh, whether it's watching, listening or playing. Um, and I, in the last couple of years, in part of the process of taking better care of myself mentally and stuff, um, adapted, you know, building miniatures, you know, from scratch. Uh, so I've done some work with there, but I think ideally the one I, I enjoy a little bit more and it's, it's easier to obtain a little more costly Legos. Uh, I love building Legos. Um, my wife has now adopted to doing that too. We, you know, uh, mother's day and her birthday came across. So there was a whole new line of new Harry Potter Legos, which she got basically all of them. Um, so I always find that is, is a great opportunity to just sit, relax, hyper folks hyper fixate on something basically uh and build legos i find to be a very relaxing experience so if you're looking for something non-digital entertainment uh i still really really enjoy doing that although i don't have space for them anymore and like Mm. i said they're they're pricey but i do enjoy them and it helps keep me uh grounded in times where i need to kind of escape from things for a bit that's a great recommendation. I still have my tall neck that I have to build. Um, it's going to then go to work with me. And they just saw that they announced the office Legos. Yes, I I was I tagged Josh in that uh, the day it was announced. It, it's not as costly as I thought it was going to be, which that is good. Although I did notice it seems to be a little cramped. So I'm yeah. not sure what the actual scale is of how big it is. So that's kind of mm-hmm. has me like a little. Eh. But the, the sets from friends were all decent sized. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping it's similar to that type of scale, but yes, it is very cool. Lots of minifigs in that one for sure. It's like 15 characters in it. So, yeah, no, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, I I decided that for decorating my office, because my office at work is just depressing. There's like nothing in there. And like when (laughs) students come in, they're like, are you sure you work here? I'm like, I promise I do. Um, so I I started wanting to put building some Legos is what I decided that uh, my partner was like, that seems good, but did you have to pick something so expensive? And I was like, well, that's a good point, I suppose. <laughs> if, so, I tell you, if you don't get all the, the license sets, it, it, it is a lot cheaper. So if you do stuff like Lego City stuff or some of the, the master creator works they have there, they'll be a little bit pricey, but they're well done. My wife has built a lot of the plant ones, um, okay. like the floral ones. And those are really cool. And they're not that expensive. It's like $50 a set. So it's not like you're spending $200 or something. Um, those are much more obtainable. They do like a wide variety of things too. So they are there if you if you don't just gravitate towards the licensed stuff because that jacks up the price more than Legos already are. So yeah uh the their their recent series of succulents i was like hmm, i might go in on these yes these look pretty great <laughs> yeah so. she did the birds of paradise i think was the set she had done and then we just picked up from the lego website uh roses tulips and sunflowers those were all ten dollars a set so those were really cheap oh um in comparison not not the birds of paradise but those other three sets i just mentioned they're only 10 bucks a pop so they're good that's not bad at all awesome yeah um, so my recommendation is also not something to watch or listen to or anything like that. Um, I know I've talked about this before, uh, but I'm going to reiterate, if possible, uh, I'd encourage you to to dabble in gardening. Uh, it doesn't have to be huge. It can even just be like a couple pots of herbs or like, you know, a, a pot of just a tomato plant or something like that. But there was this just sense of like, there's something about the other night we were cooking dinner and... Erica was like, hey, do you want to add jalapeno to this? And I was like, yeah, I think we should. So then I just walked outside and got a jalapeno yep. and walked back inside and we added jalapeno to it. And there's just something about that that is just so cool. I don't know why it is, but you could just be like, hey, I know we have this thing. Um, or it'd be like, hey, you know, let's you want to go outside and like 
get some cilantro. Yep, run outside, clip off some cilantro, run back in, chop, 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 then we're good to go. There's just something about that. So if there's something that you really like or a vegetable that you're into, like I said, you can literally grow things in just individual pots even. Like you don't have to do a ton, uh, but there's just something about being like, hey, I like grew this thing like, and I'm going to eat it and consume it and it's going to help sustain me. That's just pretty cool. Um, so try your hand at gardening. Um, some things go well. We have a couple things that are popping off. Like if you need a zucchini, let me know. I got zucchinis coming out the ears. Um, our cucumbers struggling a little bit more, but morally because the zucchinis just took over and they were like, we're going to take yeah, all the space and the aggressive. cucumbers are not happy about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but like I said, give it a try. I, I think you might like the results. I agree. So that, uh, my wife oh, and I have done that a few times. My wife and I have done that a few times. We didn't do it this year uh, just due to time and everything else going on. So we didn't dedicate time to do that. But the stuff that we've grown in past years have come back. Um, so like we have a lavender plant out front and that grew again this year. And, and we typically have mint or a couple of different varieties of mint um, that even like you said, oh, I have a glass of water. I want some flavor. Why don't you grab a couple of mint leaves and throw it in here? Like, stuff like that. it's just yeah. so good. Um, yeah. But yeah, we've done zucchini, jalapenos, all that kind of stuff, too. I agree. It's It's a lot of fun. Especially when you get like a little something, you're able to say, I, I'm making this dish with stuff I grew. Yeah. Well, and it's even just cool because like I love dill. Like dill is something I yes. really, really like. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like if you just buy and we we typically make our and people are working me crap for this all the time. We typically like make our own potato salad and stuff like when we make potato salad and all those things. But every once in a while, if you're just like grabbing potato salad from the store. I can easily grow out and like get a little bit of dill and like yep. bring it in, chop it up and mix it in there and just kind of like, you know, zhuzh up like that, like stuff that you get. So it doesn't even have to be that you then have to like do everything else from scratch. You can use it then to enhance the things that you're already doing, you know, and just make those things better. So agree because dill and potato salad is basically always a win. So, yeah, I agree. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, Kevin, huge big thank you for being here i appreciate you filling in and, and taking over anything you want to plug anything you want to tell the listeners to kind of where they can keep up with you or look out for what else you're doing what would you like to let them know about sure sure well first off my pleasure thank you for inviting me um second off if you want to follow me on the socials or, or any of the game consoles everything i do is at psvg kevin um if you want to follow what i do online um Typically, I'm just making appearances on different shows, but I am still writing uh, game reviews uh, over at gamesreviews.com. If you want to check out those out, uh, I typically try and stay busy and I know there's a lot of games coming up, so I will be busy diving into many, many of those as well. So gamesreviews.com is where you can find me. Awesome. Do you want to try doing the outro? I'll let you do it if you want to. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with VG, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with VG. So feel free to give us a stellar five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate with us in more long form or you're not feeling social media, feel free to email Josh and Kyle over at boardwithvg at gmail.com. They tag all of their stuff with hashtag boardwithvg. Again, that's board as in board game, not B-O-R-E-D. So please use that hashtag as well on all social medias. Whatever podcast service you are listening to them on, they encourage you to give them a stellar five-star rating, whether it's from the Dice Tower Network, uh, Board with VG feed, wherever you get them, five stars, do it. Kyle, where can people connect with you, sir? Goodness gracious, it's almost like you've done this podcasting thing before, Kevin. <laughs> 
So you can find me on all the usual places, Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at PsychoCross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. Next week, Josh will be back. We'll hear about all of his adventures over the last two weeks. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming. That was actually Kevin's original sign-off. I stole it. It was. Thank you.